0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
2: 18 plus. She became a potion. I drank like the ocean. Gathered my nerves. Do I lose a real friend? So my mind can pretend I'm satisfied. But it seems so unfair.
0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Verbal Pull Pass by Hebdo, a Columbus area band. Hebdo is our featured Ohio musical artist tonight, so stick around to the end of the podcast. We're going to tell you a little bit more about them, where to see them perform, and let you hear the rest of that song but right now let's throw another log on the fire campers I'm your co-host Steve Yoder and with me is our researcher and storyteller Paula Schleiss an award-winning journalist who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal.
3: Hi, everyone. Steve, I've got a 101-year-old mystery for you. A case that has some twists that even have made the history books in Seneca County. Oh, okay. You familiar with Seneca County?
0: Mm, I'm trying to think, and I really don't know where that's at.
3: Okay, well, Toledo area. Oh, okay. Maybe about mm. an hour south of there. Okay. Yeah. It's the murder of Officer Patrick Sweeney of the Tiffin Police Department in 1908 and it's one of those cases where police are pretty sure they know who's responsible they could just never catch him. So let's get started. Patrick Sweeney was born in Dublin, Ireland in 1856 and he came to the United States when he was just five years old and his parents settled in Tiffin. And in 1873, Sweeney joined the police force in his new adopted city. If those dates are right, he was only 17 years old. So serving the good folks of Tiffin is the only job he'd ever known. Now, I want to begin this story actually in 1895. That's 13 years before we're going to lose Officer Sweeney. But something really significant happens that year. By that time, Sweeney was now 39 years old and a 22-year veteran of the force, when he and Marshal August Schultz were sent to check out a sketchy situation on a farm south of town. A farmer there named Leander Martin reportedly assaulted and threatened his neighbor, a boy named Joseph Smith. What's about to happen makes national news. As a matter of fact, here's a contemporary account of what happened between the two neighbors that ran in the New York Times. Martin's runs a small farm near Watson Station, six miles south of town. Wednesday afternoon he got into a controversy with the son of a neighboring farmer. The boy, who was scarcely 15 years of age, refused to obey some trivial request of Martin, and the farmer flew into a rage. He struck the boy with his fists and seized him by the neck, nearly strangling him. The boy finally succeeded in breaking away, and half dead— Though he was, he reached town where he told his story to police. So, sounds like serious business. And on that October day in 1895, Sweeney and Schultz are the two sent out to investigate. Farmer Martin wasn't interested in cooperating. As the officers approached his house, Martin fired on them with his Winchester rifle at some point here, a local man named Abraham Scheidler joined the officers, and the trio stormed the house. They reached Martin and wrestled a gun from him. But like a twist out of the movies, Farmer Martin drew a second weapon, a handgun, and shot Officer Schultz. A couple of years ago, the Tiffin Advertiser Tribune did a story on this incident, and I found this description in a local newspaper. Scheidler was clinging to the murderer's back when suddenly the report of three more shots were heard. They came from a revolver in the hands of the murderer, and one of them caused the ultimate death of a brave and much-beloved official. Marshal Schultz had received his death wound. The bullet swept through Schultz's left arm and stomach, reaching his spleen and spinal column. Schultz was heard saying, I'll never see my wife and four children again. God will take care of me. And then he succumbed to his wounds. Yeah. Now, Marshall Schultz's death did not go over well with the local residents. And the day after his funeral, some 150 angry men, many of them said to be under the influence of liquor, marched to the jail at one thirty in the morning. They emerged from the alley across the street, approached the west door, broke the lock, and swarmed inside. Mm. Sheriff Joe Van Ness wasn't having much luck holding them back, They jammed into the hall, pushing forward. Sheriff Van Ness called for his deputies, and a half a dozen of them appeared. As the townspeople reached the last iron door before the cells, the deputies opened fire. It was hard to tell what had happened. The smoke of the gunfire filled the corridor. But when it cleared, there were two men on the floor. Twenty-three-year-old Henry Mutchler Jr. and thirty-three-year-old Christopher Matz were dead. One report said Matz was shot in the breast to stop him from using a crowbar to pry off the jail's huge door lock. After he fell, Mutchler was shot through the head while swinging a sledgehammer to beat the same lock. At least two other men reported having been struck by a bullet with lesser injuries. According to the Seneca County Museum, the mob outside the jail had grown to three thousand people. That was almost half the town's population. Huh, that's a lot. It is. But as word circulated, the two of their leaders had been killed. The number started to thin, and the stunned residents returned to their homes. The sheriff, however, suspected it wasn't over called for help and Company C of the 16th Regiment of the Ohio National Guard was called in to stand guard at the jail. The sheriff was right. The mob was growing restless again. Rumors circulated that they were preparing to return to the jail, this time with dynamite. They didn't just want Farmer Martin now. They wanted to avenge the deaths of Muchler and Matz.
0: So this is turning to something really big now oh
3: yeah i mean this is why this kind of thing is being talked about in the new york times it it was a really big story sheriff van ness he telegraphed ohio governor william mckinley to ask for more troops and mckinley and yes that's the mckinley who became president sent more troops the jail and the surrounding buildings started to look like a military fort and leander martin he wasn't even in the jail anymore as sheriffs often did in those days, as soon as they knew there was going to be trouble. They whisked him away. They slipped through a kitchen door on the opposite side of all the action, put him on a horse, and trotted him to the Sandusky County Jail in Fremont. Now, let's get back to Officer Sweeney, because this whole situation came very close to being repeated 13 years later. In 1908, Officer Sweeney was still serving and protecting the town of Tiffin, By now, it's grown from a population of about 3,000 when Sweeney was just a lad to almost 12,000. I wonder what was going on there that made it so...
0: Like a big boom? Is it some kind of That's a
3: good question. You know, we've got an armchair detective coming on that might know a little bit of the history. We'll have to hit her up for that. All right. And Sweeney's own family had grown with the town. His first wife, Mary, had given him five sons before she died and left him a widow. In November of 1907... Sweeney married again a second wife, Josephine. So even though he was 51 years old now, he was a newlywed. By the way, accounts of the upcoming tragedy often refer to him as an aged cop, to which I just want to go on record objecting to.
0: Okay, okay. we got it. Okay. We will mark, Thank let you. me mark that.
3: There we go. It's Anyway, during this period, Sweeney has earned himself a nemesis. A bad guy named William Butch Huffman. The Joker. Here's a bio of Huffman that the city of Tiffin has on its website right now. Right now. Right now. Butch Huffman was known as a thief and bully, even as a young child. He wrapped himself in solitude and was rarely seen during the daylight, preferring to move around the town after dark. He would sleep and hide in empty barns around the north side of Tiffin and was suspected in many burglarized businesses each week. It was common knowledge that if he didn't like how you looked, he would immediately try to injure you. Huffman was a career criminal who took a total of three trips to the state penitentiary during his life. Huffman's first trip to the pen was for three years after trying to rape Anna Bauman, known as Susie Moose, and living on the west side of town on Sandusky Street. She fought back, throwing a pan of coal oil on him. She timed it right because Butch had just struck a match to light a lamp, and the oil turned him into a flaming torch. He ran from the house screaming and rolled in the yard to extinguish the fire. It was Pat Sweeney who tracked him down, arrested him, and testified against him at the trial. A few years later, Butch and his brother Ed Huffman were tracked down after stealing a horse harness. Butch fired his gun towards the marshal, and the bullet lodged in the marshal's coat, just missing his chest. Butch got seven years for that. Anyway, that's the story that's on the Tiffin website. And Huffman had all kinds of other run-ins with Sweeney. And after one of these incidents, Huffman started telling people he'd kill Sweeney one day. And it seems quite likely that day came on March 28, 1908. A couple of women told police their story. They saw a man jiggling the back door to the J.M. Beckley grocery store at the corner of North Washington and Harrison Streets. Sweeney's police beat took him past the store, and while on patrol around 9 p.m. that night, the officer noticed the open door. Inside, the burglar was sitting on an ice chest. When Sweeney moved in to arrest him, the burglar pulled out a 38 caliber pistol and shot Sweeney in the stomach. News reports said his injury was so excruciating, people could hear his screams a block away. The burglar then noticed the two women and took a shot at them as he ran into the darkness. He missed them, but he made good his escape. Believe it or not, it's likely Sweeney wasn't even armed. The Tiffin Tribune advertiser asked the present-day Tiffin police force about that historic incident and learned many officers didn't even carry weapons after the turn of the century. Huh. Can you believe that?
0: That's, yeah, that's kind of hard to believe.
3: I'm, I was surprised. Yeah, they just uh, depended on their batons and brute force. Hmm. Well, after he was shot, Officer Sweeney was moved to Brick Saloon next door so they could attend to him. But there wasn't much they could do for a gut shot. They gave him whiskey to ease the pain until they could arrange for a special train to carry him to St. Vincent Hospital in Toledo. Now, police were pretty sure their burglar was Butch Huffman. Sweeney died at the hospital the next day, but not before he was reported to have said, well, I guess he finally got me. The county commissioners offered a $500 reward for his capture, and the city of Tiffin threw in another 300 but they didn't need the money to encourage townspeople. After all, these were the folks who mobbed the jail when Sweeney's fellow officer was killed a few years earlier. There was no suspect in jail this time, so the mob formed a posse to look for Huffman, and reporters said they heard talk of lynching. The posse searched for days, turning up a whole lot of dead ends. There was one intriguing sighting. A man at St. Vincent Hospital staying with Officer Sweeney saw a photo of Huffman and thought it looked like a man who had been at the hospital. Police wondered if Huffman had gone to the hospital pretending to seek medical treatment so he could check on Sweeney's condition firsthand. Funeral services were held for Officer Sweeney at St. Mary's Church. A news report said it was unusually solemn and impressive and unutterably sad. The building was filled to capacity and included officials and dignitaries and representatives from police forces all over the region. Hundreds more stood outside, unable to get in. Fellow officers served as pallbearers, and they formed a horse escort on both sides of the hearse as Sweeney was taken to the parish cemetery east of the city and laid to rest next to his first wife, and the mother of his five sons. Now here's a strange thing that I can't totally explain. In November of 1908, I found some newspaper reports that Butch Huffman had been arrested in Williamsville, Missouri. One report said he was waiting to be extradited. Another said he had already been returned to Ohio. Here's the language of one colorful account from an Indiana paper, who credited an 18-year-old Tiffin youth named Irvi Leffler as having turned Huffman in. The story read, Leffler was a sort of tramp, a young fellow who loved to tramp around the country a good deal. On election night, he left Tiffin and tramped it to Missouri. And at Williamsville in that state, he ran across Huffman, who was trying to conceal his identity. Young Loeffler immediately informed the officers at Williamsville of Huffman's identity and the crime with which he was charged, and the officers placed him in custody. They telephoned the Tiffin officers of his arrest, and Huffman was taken to Tiffin and placed in jail. The thing is, I can't find a single story that explains what happened after that, and since every historical account I can find of the Sweeney case says Huffman was never apprehended, I can only assume that this was another dead end. Maybe young Irvy Loeffler was mistaken. Maybe he was just hoping to cash in on the reward money. Or maybe some yellow journalist just was having too much fun romanticizing the story of the tramp. Anyway, if Huffman was the burglar, and there didn't seem to be any doubt about that among authorities, he managed to escape justice.
0: The two women who seen him, did they, I mean, obviously this guy was on fire at one point. He had to have some kind of scars. Did they say anything that they seen a man with scars?
3: There was no indication in the newspaper articles that they identified him. And there were some newspapers that were even being careful about whether he was the man because they kept using language like, if Huffman was Ah. the burglar. But Sweeney was conscious enough to at least mumble that, well, he finally got me, and Huffman was his major nemesis. So I think at the very least, that caused police to think it really was Huffman. Hmm. But right. well, I
0: couldn't find him. You know me, when it comes to rewards and stuff, I like to go back and see how much you know things were worth. So $800 back in 1908, you want to give a guess?
3: Um, three thousand dollars. No, twenty one thousand dollars. Twenty one thousand. Eh? And the newspapers made it sound like it was a very unusual deal. Usually rewards are offered by the family or friends who start a fund. It was a very big deal for a city or county government body put in the, to, to do the reward. Hmm. So they were very serious about this.
0: All right. Well, let's bring in our armchair detective to talk about this one.
3: Well, tonight we'd like to welcome Stacy Musselman from Upper Sandusky. Hi, Stacy.
1: Hello. Hey,
3: Stacy, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Um, I am single and I live in Upper Sandusky. I grew up in the Kenton area. I'm an X-ray tech at a small rural hospital in located in Upper Sandusky, and I am active in animal rescue in the local area. And I of, often, sometimes foster dogs and cats so oh, that good keeps
3: me for kind you of busy that's awesome good for you you know Thank I you. Y- you're familiar with the tiffin area aren't you yes what is your connection there and do you know enough about it that you can tell us what kind of place it is it's a small town
1: i live about 20 minutes from tiffin now it has a pretty rich history um i went on a haunted ghost walk a couple years ago that somebody put on, and um, that was very interesting. We walked, like, the downtown area, and they talked about, like, areas of the war and where, like, the brothels were and that, that's, that kind of thing, and there's, I believe there's two universities there. There's Tiffin University and there's Heidelberg University that are located in Tiffin.
3: Okay, Well, that's probably why the... uh, Steve was asking me why the population grew so much after the turn of the century. Probably those schools.
1: Yes, yes, and they're pretty... I think they're private, so they're, you know, pretty expensive. So it's a pretty nice area.
3: Well, you know, I mean, I know police risk their lives every day, but it seems like a lot for a town that size to have lost two officers in the line of duty over 13 years. I bet... Yes. Most communities in Ohio can go 13 years without losing one and to lose two of them. Oh,
1: I yes. I mean, I've lived in Upper Sandusky for over 20 years, and we're not as of a large area or a bigger town, but they're a bigger town. but
3: Still, yeah. Yeah. So what did you think of this case? What really stuck out to you as, as being really significant here?
1: The thing that really struck me when I was reading through was it almost sounded like it was a setup when he was shot. Oh.
3: Because the
1: way the, the perpe- perpetrator was um, sitting on the freezer, I just yeah. found that so odd. I just wonder if he was just waiting to shoot Officer Sweeney or if he was wondering, I'll just shoot the first cop that comes through the door.
3: You know, I I didn't even think of that. I think that's brilliant, though, because he already made it clear he was out to get Sweeney. He probably knew that was Sweeney's beat. Um, According to the website of Tiffin, which even now has that Butch Huffman's bio on it, they talked about how he was constantly robbing businesses. Right. And for him to rob a business and leave the door wide open, it's almost like inviting the beat officer coming by, hey, look in here. Right. Uh, oh. Yes. I think you're, but, you've sold me on that idea.
1: Uh, <laughs> I, like, like I said, I'm not sure if he knew that it was going to be Officer Sweeney And, or if it was going to be, or it sounds to me like he was a shady enough character that he didn't really care what cop he shot. He just wanted to kill a cop. And I think it was bonus points for him that it was Officer Sweeney that night that came in.
3: Now, I should have looked this up, but do you know if that jail that they stormed when um, Farmer Martin was in jail there, do you know if that building's still there? I don't know. Okay. I should have looked that up. I. What do you think just about, you know, town justice like that? I mean, the the idea of 3,000 people surrounding <laughs> a jail, demanding to take things into their own hand.
1: That Back in the time, I mean, I think that happened a lot. So I wasn't surprised at all that that happened. And I give a lot of credit to the officers that held them down and stopped them from coming in. And unfortunately, the other two men were killed in that exchange. But I guess it's old-time justice,
3: is that what they used to call it? I know. Whenever I hear these cases, I think of the Wild West. But those kinds of things, they did happen around here. And, you know, I think there was a case in Akron I remember reading about where they kind of stormed the city buildings.
1: What really caught me was that he didn't have a a, a gun on him. I didn't, that kind of reminds me of Mayberry, that he didn't have a gun when he went into the grocery
3: store. Right. I was shocked by that. (laughs) I mean, even Barney Fife, he carried a gun. He kept the bullet in his pocket, but at least he (laughs) had it with him if he needed it. But the idea of patrolling a town with just your baton and your fists, they must have had a lot of confidence that their criminals there were, you know, not going to be troublesome. Although that's weird because Officer Sweeney was involved in the case with Marshal Schultz when Marshal Schultz was killed, so they knew people had guns. You know, this is one of those cases where it would be really interesting to use that familial DNA, to see if maybe Butch Huffman had any progeny out there, right? And kind of work backwards to find out what happened the rest of his life. Wouldn't that, that be that's true? That would be so cool to be able to do that. But they have really pulled back on being able to do those familial DNA cases now. So when they can do them, I'm sure they're going to be looking for murders they can capture now. But that <laughs> right. would be fascinating.
1: I just felt it was very upsetting that justice wasn't served, and he kind of lived his life, gallivanting around the country. Apparently,
3: part of me thinks that if you're that kind of person, you're probably not going to live long. I've got to believe somebody so maybe took he care didn't, of him.
1: Maybe he didn't even have any offspring. I guess,
3: but wasn't that a weird thing in the newspaper about that tramp? who went to Missouri. Saying, yeah. And I Ooh, mean, these newspapers work. are saying, oh, he's already been taken to Tiffin. There is no evidence that ever happened. Uh-uh. So I'm really confused about those facts. But I mean, that was journalism in the day. God, right. Sometimes got a little carried away. All right. Stacey, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate thank
1: it. Thank you.
0: Well, that's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com.
3: And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. Hebdo is based in Columbus and made up of Joe Hebdo on lead vocals and rhythm guitar, Mike James on lead guitar, Mark Subble on bass, Luke Holmes on keys, and Maxwell Button on drums. Joe Hebdo calls his song Verbal Pool Pass a silly little soul pop song, but also noted that, and here's a quote, joy and torture accompanied the journey of writing this song. And for that reason, it has a special place in his discography. Be sure to follow the boys on Instagram and Facebook. You can learn all about upcoming activity, like how they're re-releasing their debut album, Prosciutto, with some re-recorded music for its 10th anniversary. And you can also catch them live. On September 14, they'll be at Scioto Fest in Columbus. On September 28, they'll be at Land Grant Brewery in Columbus. And on October 5, you can catch them in Gallipolis at River Rat Music Fest.
0: River Rat Music Fest. I never heard of that. That sounds interesting. River Rats. All right. At the start of the podcast, we played a clip of Verbal Pull Pass. Here's the rest of that song. Enjoy. And we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mystery. It me like
2: an earthquake
0: And it broke me like a baby
2: I couldn't move The spoon that she had served with It didn't even surface Until we were through But it seems so unfair All of the sudden Drink like the ocean gathered.